Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know that today we are bringing up the loss of a child. And we always want to try to give you the best tools that we can provide. So in the notes of this episode, you will find some information there if you or somebody you know is struggling through that kind of loss. Hey, I'm Don Amaro, and this is Through the Fire, a podcast about overcoming adversity, reframing misfortune, and celebrating courage. On this show, you're going to meet some really incredible people who have been through some heavy stuff, but they've come through the other side, and the hope is that you're encouraged and inspired by the words that you hear. My guest today is an award-winning artist, writer, filmmaker, and broadcaster, who is proudly Indigenous, queer, and limb-different. You'll hear more about it today with my guest, Krista Couture. Krista Couture, how are you? I'm good. So nice to have you here. I, I don't know if you know this, but when I first thought of this show, and I know we haven't talked much because I always want to save our chatting for this moment. Ah, save the um, good stuff. Yeah, because I, when I first thought of this show, you were one of the first persons that came to mind for me. Because, uh, and we're going to get into the thick stuff in a little bit, but when I think about going through stuff, there's nobody that I know more who has been through more stuff than, than you have in your life in terms of, of loss and some hardships. And yeah. I want to get into that in a little bit, but I want to start with a little bit, little bit lighter stuff first, because I know we <laughs> met, we met at, I believe, was it Aboriginal Music Camp? A bunch of years ago? Yeah, I think that was the first time. Amp Camp? Fel- Amp Camp at uh, Falcon Lake. We yeah. were there the same year. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is, is, that was, we're nearing 20 years or something like that. Was that 2008? Uh, I think the first time I went to Amp Camp was 2011. Okay. It's been a long time. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I know you as, as the musician, Krista Couture, but you've now since added author to that. So what's going on with you these days? What's, ha- what's happening? Because the, the book, is, is is probably done really well, I'm hoping, I'm thinking. Um, and <laughs> I hope so, too. Yeah, and, and so what's happening with you? So are you still doing music stuff? I'm not really doing music stuff, okay. and it's it's almost hard to say that because it was such a big part of my life for so long. Right. Like when I met you those years ago, I was, you know, touring as much as I could. I've recorded four albums, a number of EPs. And then about five or six years ago, decided to make a shift. Partly I had to. I had a a thyroidectomy. I had thyroid cancer and my voice, Mm. it was injured for a little while. So that caused me to take a step back. And then I'd had this project of wanting to write a book that had been kind of in my head and Mm. in my heart. And 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 stopping touring gave me the time to do that. And then I sort of fell in love with the process of writing that book. And then I decided to want to try and have another kid, had my daughter. So that mm. kept me in one place for a little while, too. You know mm-hmm. how that is. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and it's just been kind of feeding other projects. And I'm, I probably will go back to music, but I'm actually right now, my sort of biggest creative thing is I'm producing a series of short films, animated short mm. films for CBC Arts that is called How to Lose Everything, which is the same name as the, the book. book. Yeah, so yeah. the book has kind of grown into some other creative work that I'm really loving and I'm just kind of connecting the dots right now. Mm, That's really cool. I don't know what I'm going to do next. (laughs) I I, I love that. Is it the how to lose everything? So, I mean, that title says it all because I mean, like for me, you know, again, in my, when I first knew you and and, kind of got to hang out with you at at Amp Camp and and over the couple of years, I didn't know fully the scope of loss that you had suffered at that point in time. And I mean, you know, one of the things that um, you taught me something, uh, the phrase limb difference. Oh, cool. Uh, because you had your, your leg amputated when yep. you were... 
was 13. 13. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I did some research. Um, <laughs> You're prepared. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that was through uh, something called... Ewing sarcoma. Ewing sarcoma. Yep. And is that, is, that a, is that a bone cancer? And so um, through that, how, how was it, what, what was that like going through that as a, as a teenager? Oh, a preteen and a teenager. Yeah, I was first diagnosed with cancer when I was 11. And then had chemotherapy and radiotherapy, went into remission. Um, and then the cancer came back. Mm. And so um, the amputation was the cure for my cancer, which... You know, was incredibly lucky. I'm everyone. You have lost someone to cancer for sure. At mm-hmm. least one person in your life has died of cancer. Like that's just, like, it, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. And and so many people have cancer. So many people are impacted by it. And so I was very very lucky that there was a cure for my cancer. I knew a lot of other kids at the time who who died. I was making mm-hmm. friends in the hospital who died. Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, I was very aware of of this kind of good fortune that I had in surviving. And also, it was a huge it was a huge loss, you know. Um, my leg yeah. was amputated above the knee. I was 13 years old. It was mm-hmm. this like kind of swirl of adolescence where I mean, adolescence is a battlefield for everyone. You're just figuring out who you are, you're becoming more aware of your body, and then my body went through this huge not just like adolescent changes, but I had to learn how to walk again, mm-hmm. you know, and I was out of school for almost a year or two, I just kind of was on a very different path from my peers, and right. so it 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 changed, you know, changed my whole life. It pointed me in a new a new direction. Mm. And but I also don't know what it would be like to not have cancer. You know, it's the only uh, kind of childhood I had, and right. and so I can't really compare um, what it would be like without it or who I would be without it. Mm. You know, and of course I never would have chosen to have cancer. Um, mm. But at the same time, like I, I, I love who I am, and mm-hmm. and I know. Have I'm, you always been that way, or did it, did it was there a process to get to that place? Like, do, do you remember being thirteen? Um, I would imagine at thirteen is a ma- massive loss. I mean, it's always a loss. Yeah. But I imagine at that point in time, it's it's it's. I feel like it would be like a tidal wave. I think it was, and I think I didn't quite realize the scope of it until mm. really maybe in my twenties, my okay. late teens. It started to hit me where I was like holy smokes, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, no one else has just one leg. Like, right. like, when you're in the hospital and you're with other kids, mm-hmm. you know, who are bald and who have their limbs being amputated, it was sort of normalized. Mm-hmm. And then I got out more into the world and I was like, oh, I, this is actually extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I'm not meeting other amputees, other people with limb difference. Um, and this is permanent. Like, oh, this is, this is my life now. And mm-hmm. so it was kind of in my 20s, I think through... I went through a phase of some grieving and some acceptance and then even more into my 30s of finally kind of stepping into feeling some not just acceptance but even like celebration or or gratitude Mm. um, for the experience or for being in this body. Um, Mm. But yeah, I think it, you know, on one hand, you know, being 13 and being young and it's hard to think of like now when I see pictures of me like at 11, 11 year olds are little, <laughs> you know, like yeah, my you don't boy's feel just little, 11. right? Yeah. And when you're 11, you don't feel little, but you see, you know, I'm sure you look at your yeah. kid and you're like, oh man, he's still a kid. Yeah, right? totally. Um, and so in some ways it's a heartbreak to think about going through that at that age. Little Krista. Little Krista. Yeah. At the same time though, I think because I was young, it just shifted me. You know, I didn't have a sense like I think if I were, you know, and now to experience that kind of physical change, 
I would have already been sort of settled in my adult life in a certain way, mm-hmm. and I would be losing what I know my life to be. Right. But at 13, I didn't know what my life was going to be. Like, mm. I think probably more of my parents and my family were like, okay, yeah. this is going to be a different path. But I just, I think, you know, the way that kids adjust and accommodate and and kind of go with it. It's not to say it wasn't hard, but I think, again, I didn't have a sort of bigger picture understanding of the world, so it mm-hmm. just it just was my world. Limb difference, this phrase. Limb difference, I love D- that so, you picked that up. So where, where, where did, 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 is that something you, because you, I, I hadn't heard the term before. Okay, cool. Okay, so it's not something I came up okay. with, but it is, you know, a broad term that a lot of people with limb difference will use. I often say amputee. I mean, my leg was amputated, so that's accurate. Um, But some people are born without a limb, which would be like a congenital limb difference. And so some of those people will also use amputee, but Mm. their leg, they didn't have a limb that was removed. That's just how their body grew. That's Mm. just their body. And so for them, I think limb difference feels more accurate because it's just different hair color, different limbs, different Mm -hmm. thing about your body. It's a more inclusive term in my experience. Yeah, I think it's... Using it now. now Exactly. I'm glad that you use it. That's awesome that you picked up on it because I think, you know, language is so important and within disability, there's so many different kind of identities. Mm -hmm. But limb difference is a nice kind of umbrella, umbrella term for... For everything that comes under there. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also, in my extensive research, uh, your mom was a folk singer in the 60s? I didn't know this. Oh, man, yes. Both of my parents were singers, yeah. actually. My dad uh, sang traditional music, was a healer, but my mom, um, yeah, was a folk singer, wrote her own folk songs, played oh, guitar. Cool. Yeah, yeah. She was in what I call the affordable Peter, Paul, and Mary, because it was like <laughs> Edmonton, Alberta. <laughs> They were okay. called the Cellar Dwellers. Okay. Her and, you know, two friends. And, yeah, um, yeah we grew up singing. I, okay. I grew up singing with her and singing harmonies with her. Do you have any siblings? I have a sister who's oh. yeah, also a singer. Okay. Yeah. Is she still doing music, your sister? Like she, no, she never did it as sort of like the foreground, but right. she's someone who, you know, yeah, it's always singing and a very musical person. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I grew up with, with my mom and dad singing, and so I think for me, I, I come by music quite honestly, just having that. Like, like they were like, uh, you know, kitchen parties, sort of like here in the, in the north end of Winnipeg. <laughs> uh, and and, and I, that was my first exposure to live music, was watching mm. them. And I think that really, because I also watched them, and I probably mentioned this before on the show, but um, I watched them engage in music in a loving and passionate, just for the sake of music and, and yeah. the joy that it brought them. There was no money involved. There was, they weren't at a gig. It was just them around a table with their friends. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I just thought this is really music at its purest and it's, and it's most joyous. And, and I think that, that really affected me as a kid and as a, as a performer now, I think. About, is that, was that what led you to doing music for a while? I mean, music was always there. Yeah, same. Okay. It was joyful. It was the thing that our family did together. Also like the cousins and the friends and singing harmony and people playing different instruments. And mm-hmm. so same, it really instilled just an appreciation and a, and a, a joy and how it connects us. Mm. And, um, and I, but I grew up, I mean, my, my traditional name is, is Saini Bay, um, mm. which means singing woman. Mm. And when I was given my name, um, they told the elder told my family, she's going to sing a lot and she's going to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But so I grew up like being told that story too. And in this way that like is self-fulfilling or it was Someone always going to be true, but yeah, it like, I grew up, like when I think of that story, like 
I feel so loved because when my family loved me, they called me, no, they always loved me. But, you know, if there were, if there was a, like a moment of me feeling lifted up and appreciated for who I am as a kid, it was like when they called me Saini Bay and when mm. they said, oh, Raymond told us you were going to sing a lot. Mm. You know, there was just this sort of like loving, um, like celebration around that name. Mm. And so I just always thought that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to be. I'm singing woman. That's what I that's that's me hmm. and I always wrote songs and um but it took me you know it's kind of my mid-20s where I was like decided to then step into it um more as the career and not just for the joy which is like I mean making hmm. music for the joy is always the place to start right and then yeah stepped into developing it more as a career and a job for a while but hmm. and now now it's just for the joy <laughs> I want to hear more about that in just a moment, Krista. We're just going to take a quick break here. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. As I'm going in with, with you know, the, the career path with music, mm-hmm. it's a constant reminder. You're supposed to do this because you love it, yes. not because it's a job. And and I'm happy to say like 90% of the time it feels like I'm in that joy place. But there's that 10% where I'm just like, oh, I just... I mean, you nine know, is it, a pretty good, gra- good, it is. pretty it's, good grade I, there. It's a good grade, yeah. <laughs> I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm, but I'm fighting for the 100. That's what I'm fighting for. <laughs> Um, can I ask you about Emmett and Ford? Yeah. Yeah. So Emmett and Ford, your two children who you lost, yeah. um, you know, that I'm sure it was a big part of obviously in the book, how to lose everything. Yeah. So this, I mean, so the book, how to lose everything, I, each chapter is about a different loss that I've experienced. And you've mentioned that I've had, I happen to be someone who's had a few and we've talked about cancer and mm-hmm. my leg being amputated. And so those are in there, my, um, and a few other losses, um, but my son Emmett died as a newborn and my son Ford died at 14 months old. Mm-hmm. And so they're in the book as well. And they're really like, I mean, they're the everything, you know, I mean, losing my leg was hard, sure. Yeah. But like, yeah. that's not losing a person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a lot of my music is about, about those losses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think even the ways, like the way the, because the book had been sort of on my mind, I felt like for a lot of years, I was singing about the loss of my kids and I was talking about it sometimes, but I felt like this, I so wanted to tell the story in a, in a deeper, bigger way, mm. which I got to do in, in the book and, um, and what it meant to me to go through those losses, what it means to me now. I mean, it's been, you know, uh, it was just the anniversary of Ford's death. It's been 12 years. Mm. Um, and so you know, which in, in some ways feels like no time at all. And also right. like enough time has passed that I can sit here and, and tell you about it. Right? Mm. Um, but I, 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 I love to talk about them, not just because they're my sons and I love them, but I feel, I feel strongly about talking about grief and, mm. and we all have it or we're going to have it. And um, I feel like some of our harder stories, it can be hard to articulate them. And the more that we see other people do it, I think it makes it easier for us to maybe name our own hard stories. And mm. so I always felt sort of moved to talk about my my heartbreak, hoping that it kind of like helps us all feel a little less 
lonely. Mm. Yeah. I know when I first heard that story from you, it was it was this. I mean, there's this feeling of as a parent, I've got three kids, uh, and when I first heard that story, my son was probably around the age that Ford would have probably been. Mm. At like our kids would have been around the same age. Like my son's almost eleven now, mm-hmm. so it's pretty close. And there's this feeling for me, and you might have heard this before from other parents, but it almost feels like feels like guilt. Like, mm-hmm. oh, but I, 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 there's this sense of like, I, I feel like, can I talk about my kids with you? Uh. Right. And I do wonder if that's, there's that feeling of like wanting to protect you because of those, these memories that I'm building with my children, yeah. you know, you didn't get to have those, those years. And there's this feeling. So my, my heart broke when I heard that story for you. And, and also the sense of like camaraderie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cause every, it's, 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 it's every parent's nightmare essentially right mm-hmm. like there's there's no other way to describe it mm-hmm. and um and i think for me it's really just about wanting in in my way to support you as as a as a fellow parent you know too and uh knowing that that you've been through that and one thing that i find so incredible because you know this show is called through the fire right when i think about the fires of life you've been through a big one yeah. and more than once and and i think um, how do you do that? Yeah. How do you how, how do you find what 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 pieces did you cling to or hold on to in that season? Because I I, I want to know, and, and I know people out there are, are probably wondering the same thing. And I'm sure it's in the book. I sure so. Yeah. yeah, read yeah. the book. Read yeah, the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read the book. Yeah. I apologize. I haven't gotten into it. <laughs> You'll get to it. I mean, okay. First of all, I want to say thank you for. I, I remember telling you. We were in a restaurant in Toronto mm-hmm. and um, it was after AMP camp. It was the yeah. next whatever, you know, professional Incarnation of it, yeah. something, yeah, yeah. And I remember telling you and I remember seeing you feel it. I remember mm. seeing it, you feel it in your heart and that mm. you felt for me. Mm. And that meant a lot to me mm. because sometimes they tell people and it's too much for them, which I get. Some people mm-hmm. are like, whoa, okay, okay. And they can't, right. they can't. And that's also fine. You never know where someone's at. Mm-hmm. I remember telling you because you were really kind, mm. and um, it's and it's to lose a child is it's not impossible. It's not even that uncommon necessarily, but to lose two is is more uncommon, mm. particularly in Canada and in my social location and in living in you know major city and all the things that can you know healthcare and all of that other parts of the world that don't have that access that. I've had, but so I know that it's, it is quite something. And again, because it's me, because it's my story and I don't know anything else in some ways, I feel like this is my, my norm. This is my life. This is what I've been living with. Um, but that's not to say that it hasn't been, or it wasn't, um, devastating. And for a long time, um, the only the only thing, like I feel for a long time, I just was in this, I just was mm. in the heartache. I just was in so much sorrow and mm. grief and regret. And like everything was just like this for so long. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people ask me how I got through it or how am I okay? <laughs> sometimes people look at me and they're like, yeah. how are you? What? But, and, and then I have a few answers to it because uh, the biggest thing, the, my, my, the, the piece of advice that I can give to anyone if they're immediately in the like immediate aftermath of a huge loss, mm. if it's a child or something else, you know, whatever, big, your big thing, 
is that you have to wait. Like you just have to wait. There's mm. like, you know, it's not that even the time heals, like that's a cliche, but there is something to time passing. Mm. And there's a lot for me that, um, you know, was there's sort of a contextual resilience. I feel like sometimes people look at me and they want to put, they want to sort of elevate my individual resilience and it's not to diminish my own spirit or my choices, mm. but I um, had community. I was always housed. I had, you know, people who, you know, brought me food, who helped take care of me. And those mm. are those are huge, right? Like I could have yeah. easily, if I didn't have those resources easily, lost my home or you know easily been in a path of addiction or the place the things that happen when you maybe don't have the same resources mm. um i accessed therapy thank goodness mm. that really carried me through right. and music for a long time also really carried me through i had something to put it all into you know if mm. i'd been a gardener i would have just been in the backyard digging right. through the dirt for five years like, or like an outlet if, you know i need you need yeah. an outlet and i think i was lucky that i knew what my outlet was mm. maybe some people haven't found it yet and i was like okay i can sit at the piano and i can bang on the piano and i can sob and i can sing and it moves something through me and and just kind of trying to, yeah, one foot in front of the other of holding on to, holding on to my family, holding on to my friends, holding on to music, letting those things hold on to me when I wanted to let go. Mm. And I think, you know, for me, the grief hasn't gotten smaller over time. Like I talked about feeling so kind of in the middle of it. Um, it was my entire landscape. But over time, there's been like things that have grown around it. You know, mm. like I feel like now, you know, now I can visit that grief. I can walk around it. I see it. Sometimes right. I, I'll step right in it again. Mm. But there's other work, other relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a daughter now who's four yeah. years old. Mm -hmm. And S Sona? Sona, that's Sona. right. And so that parenting part of my heart, you know, not that it fixes the loss of my sons, right. but I get to, I get to parent, Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I get to give that to her. You, you birthed Sona, right? I birthed her. I grew that kid. So, so how was that process? Because I, I, I imagine having... Triggering. Yeah, I could... <laughs> that's the only word I could think of. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I, you know, it took me a long time to be, to be ready to try to have her. Mm. Um, and I started as a single mom by choice. And so I, I was like very intentionally... I very intentionally made that baby, tried to make that baby, you know, I bought the sperm, I went to a doctor, <laughs> like this was happening. Um, and, and so, but for me to get to that point it, for years, it was like, am I, I going to try to never the kid? I don't know. Because, because to try is to be open to a loss and, and, you know? and the outcomes and yeah. the outcomes. And even with, you know, and you know, this is apparently like, to conceive, to, to carry to term, to have a live birth, to have mm -hmm. a healthy baby. Like those are all hurdles, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's all kinds of things that happen in the meantime. I mean, it's a force of nature, right? Mm -hmm. And, and stuff happens. So and, let me get this timeline right though. So you had a, so Sona is four. She's four. And you said five years ago you went through with... That thyroidectomy was six mm, years okay. and sort of in that aftermath of like sitting in one mm. place, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I could try to have a kid. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had, I had to be ready to be open to whatever was going to happen. Right. 
which is to say I also had like I had to I had to be ready to be hopeful I had to ho- be able to be like I hope for the best here mm. and for a long time I was like it's just not going to work I have had such bad luck I don't even want to try you know mm. and but over time little nudges little things um and even I mean you talked about like you saying like you felt almost guilty talking about your kids and I for a long time I couldn't hear about other people's kids mm. I, I I would I would not wish you know I was like yes right. yes yeah. but I'm not the person to hear about it. yes of <laughs> you know course, and then yeah. like over time there was actually well you know Tara Williamson yeah yeah um her son at a gone spa I met um not long after the thyroidectomy and mm. I went to help out with some babysitting she was doing something and I was like, okay, I can do this. I can help take care of the mm. baby. Okay, okay, I'm not gonna cry. <laughs> I wanna help my friend. And she had was doing a bit of work and she was like, here, take the kid. And I was like. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I will always thank, I will always be grateful to you, Anna Gonspa. We just looked at each other and mm. we looked at each other and he just like got right in no there. No way. And something changed. Mm. He changed something in me where I thought, oh, I, oh, I could. Oh, I could mm. try, and oh, I could be with a little baby, and and so he mm. planted a little seed where I th- realized I was ready to see what might happen, mm. and I'm so glad, I'm so glad because now I have Sona, and mm. and uh, it's been yeah, it took me a long time to get there. I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, I think there's so many answers to how to get through the fire, and there's right. so many ways that that's individual, and right. but I, you know. Uh, and there's so much that I, I really do want to attribute to to the context that some of us are in because I think sometimes what happens with resilience I have actually this is I have a real stick about this Don <laughs> but bring like, it bring it okay <clears throat> we we have elevated resilience in a way that we put so much mm. emphasis on the individual that I think can be unfair because it's okay if you're not resilient like it's mm. okay if you can't handle it like we need community care we need to take care of each mm. other. And if for whatever reasons you maybe don't have that around you, like it's probably not your fault, (laughs) Mm. you know, like we see people who are struggling and it's not that they're, you know, oh, they're not resilient. They can't handle it. Like, that's fine. We need to step in and help, (laughs) you know? And so I think for me getting through, like what I often want to share with people is like, look around you and if, you know, maybe you think you don't have that person who's there for you, but maybe they are, maybe you can reach out. Or if you're someone who's doing okay, like keeping in mind who's in your network, who do you see who might need some support? Like, mm. because that's really what gets us through is helping each other when mm. we need it. And um, so I, yeah, I've been so lucky to to have help and have people, you know, shelter mm. me and carry me. Um, <clears throat> yeah. You say that. Um, with with grief that it's very present, still present, and yeah. there's other growth and new things around that. Uh, I remember hearing a story uh, by it was a monk. Uh, I saw this video one time, and he was talking about how he'd always suffered with anxiety, and he said, you know, these the, the elders around me would see me and they'd see me struggling in anxiety, and one one person just said, you need to become friends with your anxiety, mm. and so he said that changed everything for me because he would see that he feel this anxiety wave coming over, and he would. He would literally, in his mind, think, like, "Hello, anxiety. I acknowledge yes. you're there, and I see you." Yes. And all of a sudden, it helped him get past it. But it was still there. It wasn't. It didn't go away. It stayed with him. And I imagine it's somewhat the same with grief. Oh yeah, 
And I, I, I often personify grief. There's the last passage in my book, which is the part called How to Lose Everything, A Field Guide. I talk about sorrow. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This doesn't, it won't ruin the book. You can still read it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of an epilogue. And it's actually the passage that one of these short films that I'm making is based on. Okay. Um, but personifying it is really useful because it feels like such a presence. Mm. And I actually asked someone recently who was telling me about some of their own experiences with grief. And I was like, what kind of roommate has grief been like for you? And they were like, oh, my God, she makes such a mess. She doesn't do the dishes. It's just like, like it kind of, you can sort of, it's it's a, a language that I really like because mm. for me, I was like, man, when she's at my house, I don't even get out of bed. Like, mm. I don't know what it is about her. We just lay in bed all day. Like, mm. know it doesn't feel very good. But, you know, right. it's like, it it's, but it's a way of kind of welcoming it, I think, and not fighting it. Because, mm. yeah, you, like with anxiety or grief, it, it doesn't really help to fight it and so i remember reading a poem that said you should always open the front door to sorrow but never lock it behind them you know like Mm. you can be like yeah come in and when you're done you can go but like you're welcome here as long as you need you Mm. know and i i think that kind of language also helps me think about even some of those pieces of care so if i'm feeling grief or if you're feeling grief i think okay well what is what is grief need like Mm. do you need some time do you need a hug do you need some food do you need to cry like Mm. what is it that grief needs right now and it kind of helps me think about tending tending to it you know so that it can go back out into the world or Mm. you know but if you ignore it and you fight with it it just gets gets messy there's there's a line uh, that I, I read of yours somewhere. I can't remember where exactly this came from. Maybe it's in the book. I'm not sure. But <laughs> some, some of the wounds that people can see and the wounds people can't see. Mm. And, and I think that so oftentimes we, we look around the world and we look for the physical wound. We look for what's, what's got you down and what, why is it this way? But not realizing so much that so many of us are walking around with these internal yeah. things that are, that are paramount right, yeah. to our human experience. Everyone is. Yeah. Everyone is. I think sometimes for me, what's been interesting in this body or the way that I like, you know, I don't hide mm-hmm. my disability. But so sometimes people look at me and they, it's, this is a very visible wound. This is mm-hmm. a very visible loss where people are like, oh, the one that person with one leg. Right. And that's, of course, a story. And there's, you know, I'm shaped by it. But yeah, people don't look at me unless I, you know, have told them and say, right. oh, wow, the person who lost two children or, mm-hmm. or you know, and, and, and we all like, I, I know that my losses are extraordinary, but I don't say that to minimize other people's losses. You don't have to have right. lost two children to be having a hard time. Like life is hard. Life yeah. is hard. And yeah, the wounds we don't see, I think, I feel like that's like, for me, the human quest is to remember that about each other, mm-hmm. to like sit here with you and know, like you might have something going on right now in your life. Big time. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's like, right. but you showed up, you're doing your job, you're hosting a thing, we're having a conversation. And, but like to just remember, oh yeah, that's, that's mm. like, this is a person who's got a big right. full life and who knows, who knows mm. what's going on. You know? I think about that so often when I just see random people, I think <sighs> what's going on in their world right now. And they don't even have to be like stereotypically looking broken necessarily, sure, right? You like never they, know. It's, it's the person beside you on the bus, the person driving on you, the car beside you, like everybody's going through something. And I think I think if we just take a little bit more time to be patient and kind to each other and recognizing, wait a second, like we're all carrying something, yeah. you know? And I think I think one of the feelings I get from you too is that you you offer that. And I think you, you offer that to people. And I think we can all learn so much from that. Mm-hmm. I value that so much. And I value that in our friendship. And 
And I, uh, I feel like, again, every time I end these conversations, I feel like there's so much more to say, but um, for time and for respecting your time too, I just want to say thanks so much for coming to share some of these, these thoughts with us. And I think it's important to, to remember these things that you're sharing with us today. Oh, thanks, Don. I mean, thank you for having me. And like I said, I feel like anytime any of us tell our stories and you're sharing all these stories here, it's like it helps. It just helps all of us like Mm. feel grounded in our stories, I think. I'm grateful for you, Krista. Thank you. Thanks, Don. As I always say, it takes a village to run things here at Through the Fire. And I want to thank my village, executive producer Sarah Burke, administrators Lori Brown and Alan Grayeyes. Video and audio design by Chris Godry and his team at 44 Films. Feisty creative for their design work. Social media support by Johnson Design Company. And last but far from least, I want to thank our technical producers, Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company. I look forward to sharing more great conversations just like this one on the next Through the Fire. You see the Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.